like been alluded to, I'm proclaiming good news today, not as somebody over and above you, but as one of you, as a member of this body. And so to start things off, I'll say the Lord be with you. Thank you. I was just sitting in my seat checking out this wonderful icon on the way up and uh, was really struck by the detail in it. Just as kind of an aside before we get going, uh, I noticed that there's toenails on the people in the front, which was a little interesting. Just a small detail. And then I, the person that Jesus looks like he's touching appears to have an ingrown toenail on their right foot. <laughs> I don't know if there's actually anything behind that or not, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> Yeah, so Jesus feeds the 5,000, and he walks on water in the same passage for the same Sunday to preach on. This is what theologians and scholars regularly call a double whammy. Um, We are going to focus, we're going to narrow our focus a little bit more. As I was going over this passage and just kind of meditating on it and praying about it, the part of the scripture that stuck out to me this week is Jesus' response when he realizes that the crowd wants to make him king. So we're going to zero in on verse 14 and 15. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. It's an interesting response uh, to finding out that when you came to be the prophet, when you came to be a king, to be a messiah, when you find out that people want to make you that, to withdraw from that crowd. And that struck me as as an odd response. This morning, we proclaim that Jesus will not be made a king by force. His kingdom is not about power moves and hostile takeovers. Today, we proclaim that God's reign in Jesus cannot be acquired by force, but it is a gift that can only be received. Mallory and I moved here about three years ago, a little over three years ago, to plant a church in the downtown area in Fountain Square. And uh, we moved in the summer, and shortly after moving, we had kind of gone through a transition with my job. I was looking for something to switch into. And strategically, you know, in talking to some people, praying about it a little bit maybe, but mainly strategizing, I came up with a plan of, oh, this will be great. I'll be a realtor, and I'll work downtown. This will, like, help me to meet new people, I'll know the city really well, and strategically, it'll like allow me to you know, have more and more free time, hopefully, as I get going, to just focus on planting this church. Um, actually, shortly after moving here, I met Ben and Matt in D.C. at a conference, and then whenever we got back into town, we just started grabbing lunch. Like, I tried to basically reach out as frequently as possible without being obnoxious, so it was like <laughs> once or twice a month. A month. Um, and... <laughs> you got that yeah munch that means month uh, yeah that's true yeah um, so it's, it's amazing but these, these conversations you know initially I felt like I was just trying to like learn as much as I could from these guys but I ended up having like a series of really challenging conversations with them which is uh, something that I really appreciated and that's something that they do frequently if you know them at all but there's this one, this one particular lunch where we are having tacos at this taco place that we really loved in Broad Ripple, which is now closed, actually, sadly. Um, but we were all standing around the table, and we're talking. And I don't know how the conversation got started, but <laughs> three years ago, basically, this doesn't surprise me, but I was just, like, basically laying out to them, like, my plan of what was going to happen for this church plant. 
like strategically, I am working this job as a realtor so that I can get to know people, get to know the city well, get to know the people I need to know in the city, and I can start this church. The only reason I am working as a realtor is so that I can make enough money to eventually not have to work outside of this church plant. Like that is only a means to an end that I have in mind for myself. I'm a church planter. I moved here to pastor a church. This is my plan. You know, it's baptized. It's a holy plan. We're planting a church. We're trying to build the kingdom of God here. So obviously there can't be anything wrong with it. And I can't remember if it was Matt or Ben, but they kind of pushed back a little bit and just said, I wonder, this is how they do. So watch out if you, if you hear them start off. <laughs> if they start off with like, I wonder if maybe... God wants to redeem vocation for you. He wants to not just have you in this job as something for a short term so that you can have this balloon of money to do whatever you think is right. But if maybe what God is actually working out for, for you internally is redeeming vocation, you know, who you're meant to be to be an integrated person. Like you're not a realtor just so that you can be a church planter eventually, but like you're just one person. These things are all a part of who you're called to be and what you do in the city. Which, laid out like that, you know, that sounds really great, but instantly I was just like, no. Like, <laughs> I know what, what God's doing. Like, I know what I want to do and what my plan is, and it's a good plan. Like, there's nothing wrong with this plan. Strategically, it'll work. Like, I know what I need. I know what I want in this situation. And sure, you know, God's definitely on board with it, so what could be wrong with that? So I came away from the meeting. I felt challenged, but I also felt like, overwhelmed and confused. You know, I thought I knew what I wanted. I thought I knew what I needed in this situation. I didn't even know when they asked, you know, maybe God is wanting to redeem vocation for you. I didn't even have an imagination for what that looked like. You know, this was just a big question mark to me because all I saw it as is I need to work a job so that I can have enough money to do this thing. But redeeming vocation was not even a question that I had considered. I'm wondering if you've ever felt this way before. I think we all have have said some variation of this prayer, God, if only blank, then I'd be happy. God, if only I was married, or if only my kids were behaving, then I'd be happy. If only I got that big promotion that I put in for, then I'd be happy. If I made more money, or if we got to go on more vacations, or if we could go on two-week vacations when we have fall break and spring break on our weird school schedule. <laughs> God, if only I lived there instead of here, then I'd be happy. That's what I need to be happy. I think sometimes that we're convinced that we just need a Savior that's a means to our ends that we already have in mind. We don't even need to ask God about the end because we know what's good for us. We know what we need, right? We live our lives every day. How could we not be in touch with what we really need? The Lordship of Jesus in this situation just becomes a, a purpose. Its, its purpose is just to contribute to our own happiness project that we're putting together, right? Like, we see ourselves in this lifestyle. I have a job that looks like this, a house, a car, a family that looks like this. We get to travel to these types of exotic places when we want to, go out to eat as frequently as we'd like. That's what happiness looks like to me. So Jesus needs to help me live my best life now. So we've set, what we've done is set a low bar for what redemption actually is, for what salvation looks like and freedom looks like. We're so sure of what we think we need that we're not even listening for good news. We're not even listening for God to help us understand what we need or what we truly, what lies beneath our wants even in these situations. 
We get into this cycle because we believe that our striving, our work, our grasping, our planning, we believe that it does good work for us. You don't have to look very hard to see how this is connected to the American dream, right? Like, if you'll just work harder than everybody, and if you have a pretty good plan, like, you can make some stuff happen, right? But a lot of us, when we baptize that philosophy, that lifestyle, it does work for us in that we maybe make money, maybe we do move into the house we want to move into. But we've never stopped to ask, is this really what I want? God, is this what you've created me for? Is, is for this, just for this house? I think a lot of times we end up getting what we're after, and then we're kind of like, oh, I guess what's next? Because I have to move on to the next thing now. This didn't fulfill me in the way that I thought it would. Jesus will not be made a king by force. His kingdom is not about power moves and hostile takeovers. Today we proclaim God's reign in Jesus cannot be acquired by force, but is a gift that can only be received. We see a great example of this bad news at work, actually, in the Old Testament text today with David and Bathsheba. David saw something that he thought was going to make him happy, something that was going to fulfill him. It was going to scratch some kind of itch that he thought he had. And how could that be a bad thing, right? We actually see this with David and with Saul both. They both initially just receive or inherit the kingdom, and then they both get into trouble when they start to try to control and grasp and make things happen. Right? Instead of receiving this kingdom, they start to take these actions to just go and acquire what they think they need. We do this all the time. We do it with romantic relationships, the new iPhone, houses, cars, better vacations. We make Jesus a means to our ends. And then just like David, sometimes we get what we're after, and we're left realizing that's not what we really wanted. That's not what we really needed after all. In John, we see Jesus as the new Moses. So John makes it a point to say that this happened around the time of Passover. So he's calling back to the Passover, the Israelites being led out of Egypt and through the wilderness. And he's also, there's a lot of line, you know, overlapping here in parallels, right? So he multiplies the bread. Jesus multiplies the bread, just like God provided bread from heaven and manna to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. Jesus, towards the end of this passage, he walks on the water, just like Moses led the Israelites through the Red Sea in the parting of the sea. What stands out to me here at the beginning, too, is that the crowd is following Jesus because of his miracles, which is not a bad thing, but I think it's noteworthy that that's, that's why they're following him. He's going around healing people, and they're like, okay, let's just see what's going on. What is this guy doing for us? He's the new Moses, but he's the better Moses. So the people realize, they see what's happening, right? This guy is a prophet, obviously. This guy is, is a king. He's feeding people. He's feeding me, first of all. He's healing people. There's nothing wrong with that. This is the kind of leader I want. This is the kind of king I want. Maybe this guy's going to lead us to the political victory and freedom that we're after. Let's make this guy king. And it's as if Jesus is saying, if you think that all I've come to do is heal the sick and multiply food and feed you, then you can't even begin to imagine the fullness that I've truly come to bring to your life. He's the new, but he's the better Moses. He withdraws when he finds out, when he realizes that they want to make him the king. They're not wrong that he is a prophet, that he is a Messiah, that he is the king but their understanding is incomplete. They want someone that will feed them and heal them and give them what they think they need, but he's come to bring them so much more. He won't merely be a means to their ends. Jesus will not be made a king by force, 
His kingdom is not about power moves and hostile takeovers. Today we proclaim God's reign in Jesus cannot be acquired by force, but it is a gift that can only be received. We see this even again in Psalm 14. He's talking about the wicked, the people that are far, far from God. They say that there is no God. They never call on God. And I think that we do this in a lot of small ways. We would never admit that, right? We don't feel like we're not calling on God. But we don't need God to tell us what we need. We just need him to help us get what we want, right? We already know what we need. They never call on the Lord. The message version in Psalm 14 says, Don't they know anything, all these imposters? Don't they know they can't get away with this? Treating people like fast food, like a fast food meal over which they're too busy to pray? We often subject all of life to our own agenda. And when we do, anything that gets in our way gets treated like this. Like a fast food meal that's not even worth the time to pray over. I want to control my kids. I need to control my kids. Whatever it takes, I've got to control to get them in control so I can do what's on my agenda today. I have to get this deal done at work. So... Is it really wrong if I bully this person a little bit? We've got to get stuff done. The message version also says, Is there anyone around to save Israel? Yes. God is around. God turns life around. Jesus didn't come to give you what you think you want. He came to redeem and integrate every part of your life. At the end of the passage in John Jesus goes and he's walking on the water to the boat that the disciples are on. It's storming. They're already scared. And they see somebody walking on the water and they're terrified is what the text says. This is not the disciples' preferred means of being rescued. N.T. Wright points out, he's like, okay, we're already out here dealing with this storm and like fearing for our lives. And now we've got to deal with some kind of ghost or apparition coming for us. This is not the disciples' best way, their ideal solution for the problem. But once they let Jesus in the boat, they reach their destination. Trusting Jesus is scary. Letting him onto the boat is scary. But Jesus' message to us today is the same as it was to the disciples then. Do not be afraid. It's me. Trust me. You can trust Jesus with your wants, with your motivations, with your needs. Ephesians 3 says that we're were to be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God, right? If there ever was a text describing what your best life now really looks like, it's Ephesians 3, right? Paul's prayer for the people there isn't that they'll be successful, that they'll have wealth, that they won't get sick. It's that they're going to fully understand and be rooted in Christ's love. And he describes it as saying that the fullness and the redemption that is brought, that love, that rootedness in Christ's love, is beyond anything that we can comprehend and that God is going to do more than we've ever imagined. That's, that's God's vision. That's Jesus' vision for our best life now. Is not to provide you what you think you need to get through, that new job, that raise at work, but to be fully rooted in Christ's love. Jesus is a better king than we expect. As I was preparing this week, I, I heard a parable shared on one of the podcasts I was listening to about a shepherd that came to the birth of Jesus and he, he didn't bring anything with him. He was a poor shepherd and so he didn't have an expensive gift to give. He came empty-handed and they're standing around the stable and he's looking around at everybody else and feeling really guilty because he's empty-handed. And while he's looking around feeling guilty, Mary puts baby Jesus in his hands. 
because he doesn't have anything. He's not holding anything else like anybody else's. And I think when we lay down our grasping, when we lay down the things that we're trying so hard to carry and keep up that we know we have to do, right, to accomplish this end, sometimes we, we look up and we see that we're receiving Christ in those empty spaces. I personally have a lot of tr- trouble riding in cars when somebody else is driving. Where, where are my Enneagram 8s and 1s at? Anybody else? Anybody else have that issue? Yeah, so it's, it's actually a little bit strange whenever I'm riding with Ben. I usually just let him do it because he's my priest, but that's like the, one of the rare exceptions I'll make. Um, <laughs> well, you know, got to do what you got to do. It's, it makes me like extremely uncomfortable, depending on who the driver is, but in general, I would just prefer to drive. I am way more comfortable with the job I'm going to do behind the wheel. I would, re- and it's safer for the car, honestly, because even if we don't, even if we don't wreck, I'm still going to be like slamming my foot down over there on like the imaginary brake on my side of the car, because I want to be in control. I think that this is just like what we see with the disciples, right? Like Jesus, they have to invite Jesus into the boat. I think a lot of us in our our car metaphor, like we think Jesus is in the car with us, and so we're already pretty happy with the situation, but. We only ask him to take the wheel if, like, we're sputtering out of control, you know, because we've got it under control. We know where we're going. We know what we want. We've got our GPS all mapped out. We know how long it's going to take us. But Jesus is asking to drive the car. Scary. (laughs) So beyond what we can imagine, God wants to redeem all of our life our finances, our health, our relationships, our job, our vocation. When Matt and Ben posed that question to me, I really was frustrated and kind of confused. I didn't even know what it really meant. So I was like, yeah, that sounds good, but in what way is he going to redeem vocation for me? And I just was probing with that, wrestling with that for a while. And it was a long, you know, it's been a long course, right? Just a few months later after that conversation is when I got my license. But as I stepped into becoming a realtor and went through this process of releasing my plans and putting down my ideals of this timeline of when a church plant needed to be up and running for me to be successful or actually doing what I'm called to do, I started to feel this burden fall off of me, fall away. And I felt this peace rush into my life. Not not a peace that was passiveness or apathy, but a peace in resting that I knew that Jesus cared just as much and more than I did about the course of my life, about my call, about my vocation, about my family's well-being. And I've seen in the last few years, I've seen him fully redeem that. You know, I don't see being a realtor now going to work as something that I just do so that I can do something else. I actually laugh all the time when I'm talking to people, but I really feel like one of the main ways I'm growing as a pastor is by being a realtor, helping people buy houses. I mean, somebody said a few weeks ago, they're like, hey, did you ever think about becoming a counselor? And I was like, I'm a realtor, so that's pretty much what I do. <laughs> I'm a marriage counselor. I'm walking with people as they make this, this huge financial decision. People have all, all these anxieties that bubble up to the surface. And I'm learning to care for people. This is not something that I like resent having to do just to make some money. God is working something out in me. I mean, of course, there's like strategic benefits of meeting new people and getting to know the city. 
But it's not just this separate idea. It's not just like going to do this for a short period of time. This is part of who God's created me to be. It all flows together. And that redemption is something that I didn't have an imagination for three years ago. I just needed to make some money. You know, honestly, if somebody had just written me a huge check at that time, I wouldn't have become a realtor. I just would have started to plant that church. Jesus isn't, he wasn't saving me from having to work. He was saving work for me. What area of your life do you wish Jesus would step in and save you from? But he's actually redeeming it for you. He's saving it for you. Your best life now isn't all about the money, the success, the relationship statuses that you think you want. There's way more to it than that. Jesus is telling you this morning that you can trust him. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's him. He knows it's scary. Trust Jesus. This morning, God's kingdom is available to you as a gift if you'll lay down your grasping and your striving so that you can just receive it. Where do you need to be reminded of this? Is it at work? Is it in your finances? In your budget? Is it your relationship status? You're single or you've been married for 10 years? Is it your relationships with your kids or with your spouse or with your parents? Jesus will not be made a king by force. His kingdom is not about power moves or hostile takeovers. Today we proclaim that God's reign in Jesus cannot be acquired by force but it is a gift that can only be received. We'll get to respond this morning in prayer, but another way that we respond every Sunday is by coming to the table. Just like the Israelites received manna when they were going through the wilderness, just like Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish, we come to the table and we're fed. Sitting at the feet of Jesus and receiving, it's both humbling and it's liberating. This morning as you come to the table, come with open hands to receive. Don't grab it. Don't grasp for it. Just receive the gift of God, the grace of God. Another way that we can receive God's grace this morning is if you have a need, we have a healing prayer ministry available during the time that we receive Eucharist. So if you're towards the back and want to step over and receive some prayer, that's one way that we can come and lay down what we're holding in our hands and just receive from God. a prayer response for us today. I just want to take a, a moment to be silent together and reflect and see what God brings to our minds, to our hearts, and then I'll, I'll lead us in praying it, but it's in your booklets if, if you want to say a prayer afterwards. Father, I lay my grasping and striving before you in my planning for next steps and my mapping of the future. Help me to loosen my grip on happiness projects of my choosing so that I can receive your grace with open hands. Lord, in your mercy.